From Omaha, Nebraska to New York City. From planet Earth to extraterrestrial life in space. A podcast with no equal. Engaged in unconventional warfare through your speakers and headphones. This is a show about embracing the suck, conquering your demons, and finding God in the face of adversity. Chris Tonto Peranto. Twitch is on. Motherfucker, I'm going to shoot you in the face. Ian Scotto. You know, Ian and I have been dating for a long time. You are now tuned into the Battle Line Podcast. The Switch is on Battle Line Podcast, and I I am embarrassed to say, I, you, I'll use an SAT word here, I am chagrin that we are 171 episodes deep, and we are finally having on Frank Grippy, Sergeant Major Grippy, yeah. and I will 100% blame myself, because this is a man that Chris has wanted to have on probably since episode one, uh, that you've been bugging me to get on, yeah. and I've yeah. wanted to have on, obviously, so I shouldn't say bugging me, because it's just... Every month, it, it just there's so many people we want to get on, and I'm glad we're finally doing it. Yeah, he he's the man. Uh, for those that are Ranger Battalion, they know who Sergeant Major Command Sergeant Major Frank Grippy is. He was my first sergeant when I was first in, and that's how I got to know him. And but yeah, he's a legend, man. He's like Max Mullet, you know. He's a he's a Ranger Hall of Famer, Ranger legend. Been in Operation Urgent Fury. Been in Just Cause. Fought in GWAT, was dropping mortars at Anaconda when when that was going on with 10 Mountain Division. He was a command sergeant major out there dropping mortars with the mortar team. That says you how much of a badass this guy is. So yeah, it's good to finally get him on. And he's a character. He just and he's but he's just a tremendous ranger, just one of the best. Yeah, I'm I'm excited for it. Um I was gonna mention uh in just a random, you know, news of what's going on in the world. Uh it'll be Monday by the time people hear this, but I, and I'm not, truthfully, I'm not the biggest football guy. I'm more of a hockey guy, but I'm not even going to talk about how terrible the Islanders are doing. But your Cowboys, at yeah. this point, as of Friday, as we're taping, are in the mix. New York Giants in the mix. And uh, it's an, and Buffalo Bills, it's an exciting time yeah. to see. And Philadelphia. Uh, I, I, I think, Philadelphia, though. I, yeah, the Eagles. Well, <laughs> I said the, 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 NFC, the NFC East, that's what I grew up with when I was growing up. That was they were the best conference. That was you know growing up with Roger Starbuck days, and and then you had uh, Ron Jaworski days. I mean, I'm going way back, guys. This, you know, and and even they had the Redskins with John Riggins and Joe Theismann. And uh, yeah, I grew up. I grew up on football. I, you know, I don't pay attention to it as much anymore because I can't, they just get too much into politics and just instead of just playing, which to me is motivating. Just watching, you know, just watching football, remembering watching football with my father, but. It, to me, that seems like some normalcy because now the the NFC East is the best conference, in my opinion, again in NFL football, and that's kind of cool because that's how it was when I was growing up. So, uh, but um, yeah, yeah, it's it's I don't really want. I I mean, I, I watch the scores, but the Cowboys always break my heart. They're always, they always those that watch the Cowboys now. If they pay attention to NFL football, you know they're probably the ta- most talented team out there. Maybe the Eagles are close second, but um they always fall short for some reason. And I don't know why every year. So, um, 
I, I honestly, I was like, oh, I'm not going to watch them. I'll just pay attention to the scores on, you know, I'll get on my phone. And when I do that, they, so now it's like a good luck thing. They usually win. <laughs> if I watch the game, they lose. So I don't watch the game, but I do pay attention to it. And, uh, and I'm on my phone and watch the scores at the timeline. And yeah, it's, it's kind of cool. It's kind of, you know, it's, and again, it's a good time of year because it reminds me of when I was growing up and watching football with Howard Cosell, you know, and Frank Gifford as the commentators and John Madden and and watching it with my father and my brother and you know because i was big into football through college so yeah it's, it's cool though it's a cool thing to see do you uh do you remember Taman turner by any chance worked with me at sirius xm he worked on david webb's show he did stuff with yeah. us and will i mean I, I didn't i didn't know him very well but i met him yeah yeah, yeah. super nice guy man but he truly is like the biggest cowboys fan uh was born in texas and then grew up in connecticut went to college on long island he's back in texas now um but man he flew to tampa to see the cowboys oh did he really and and <laughs> he looks like he had the time of his life man because and it's one of those things where you think about it it's such a gamble to go to tampa because i feel like you know you're gonna say oh, i had a good time regardless but i feel like if you make the effort get a hotel fly there like spend probably an absurd amount of money absurd to see about, that game yeah. and yeah. you see them lose you're probably like, I could have spent that so much better, Sorry. but I think to fly out there and get to see the Cowboys win in Tampa. And beat Tom, be Tom Brady. Yeah, that was, yeah. Yeah, he looks like, and he had great seats. I just, you know, I, he looks like he had the time of his life. So it, it is cool to see because yeah. I know he's not, he's the furthest thing from like a bandwagon jumper. He is Cowboys through and through. Awesome. So, uh, so yeah, it was cool to see. Since I was a little first grade, I was been, I used to have old, I, you may not know this, but there's other Cowboys fans you'll know who bob lilly is one of the greatest offensive i mean uh defensive linemen um ever for the cowboys and um i got so got his old old football card and an old 20 door set rookie card i mean that's when i used to collect football cards and yeah so it's cool to see that the cowboys are are, are winning again and like i always said the world and i continue to say it's the world we, we back right again when the yankees win the world series when the cowboys win the super bowl when the problem i would say the islanders or the oilers <laughs> Win the hockey championship. That, oh, that'd be that's, great. When, that's what that's when the world will not, be right. not happening for a while, though. Yeah, man. Just, and, yeah, and the Boston Celtics win the NBA championship again, and then the world, and there'll be and there'll be Larry Bird's and Magic Johnson's back in the league because you don't see guys. Man, those are class acts back in the day, man. Just class acts, dude. Last night, I um. I got my workout in and I decided I'm going to head over to Buffalo Wild Wings, watch the rest of this Islander game. It was like a late workout. I saw they were in overtime. So I was like, all right, let me catch this overtime. Literally, I sit down, you know, and I rarely drink, as you know, but I was in the mood. I grabbed, got it. I was about to order a beer, get a wings. Overtime starts and <laughs> they lose <laughs> like uh. within a minute. I'm just like, not again, man. Not like this team is just breaking my heart. But in, uh, in news that we would cover here, man, I wanted to get into this, not just for the shock value of it or any of that, but yeah. because of, of your experience with firearms, obviously, you being an instructor. We covered when Alec Baldwin had that shooting sure. on set, and now there's an update on that. Alec Baldwin to be charged with involuntary manslaughter and rust film shooting, um, along with the film cine cinematographer, Helena Hutch. Uh, no, no, no. So Helena Hutchins was the woman who was killed. But the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, will also be charged with two counts of involuntary manslaughter for the 2021 fatal shooting on the New Mexico set of the film Rust. So, yeah, man, what, what I was wondering, actually, for one, I, I mean, I think this, you obviously have to charge them with manslaughter. Uh, but my question is, I mean, 
who's really more at fault when you think about it, Alec Baldwin or is the armor? I think it's it's interesting in this case because of the fact that I believe Alec Baldwin was like an executive producer on the film. So he was more than just an actor. But I would think in a hypothetical situation where let's just say it was an actor who didn't have an executive role on the film and the armorer tells them, hey, aim the gun at this person and shoot. You have to assume that that this actor knows absolutely nothing about firearms. And it obviously, I mean, besides conspiracy theories out there, if we're going based on the official story, he did not intend to shoot and kill this person. It was a total accident. Um, I would just think, yeah, to have an armorer on set saying that this is acceptable that you could do that you know you you assume that the person instructing you is an expert on firearms i mean if you take a class with chris peranto or any firearms instructor there's no scenario where they would ever tell you that's okay that's okay to point yeah um you know i without knowing everything and i don't think because our media is sensationalized and they, and they do and they don't really put the whole story on there those are only on the ground. I'll know the full truth. So without knowing everything and only knowing what the media has told us, various outlets, you do have to put some onus the responsibility on the people that were in the movie, because, you know, I, I learned this from, from my first battalion commander, uh, his name uh, is Colonel McChrystal, who's General McChrystal now, who said the success or failure of any mission falls on the highest chain of command. So you do have that responsibility if you are in charge, but then also as well, the armor, or the military advisor, that's their job is yeah. to make sure that weapons are cleared, make sure that the environment is safe. That's their responsibility. So, yeah, that's, I, yeah, we're playing armchair quarterback here. Yeah. And, and even though I say I hate doing that, hey, we're on the show, I'm doing it. Okay. I don't like to do it, but that's what we have the show for. We're putting our opinions out there. No. And also, I mean, I, I bring it up too because the people on the news commenting on it half the time know absolutely nothing about firearms. I'm not an expert and I know more than most of these people. I, I know you always say the thing about there's no subject matter experts, but you are someone with with the 10,000 hours of training. On with firearms. knowledge, sure. With no, and that says to Hollywood is start hiring there. Believe me, guys, there are tons of social media to a military influencers that would love to be part of Hollywood. Go to SHOT Show. You'll find thousands of them right now. You go, go find them. But they're there. Use them. Granted or not, whether I agree with what they want to do with their lives and their careers as far as going into Hollywood, they're there and they want to be there and they know how to use farms. Go get those people to be your military advisors because as they know what they're doing. They know about safety. They know about farms. They know what a cleared weapon is. They know that you need to know the status of a weapon three different times before you hand it to somebody. They And they're, they're, they want to be part of that for some reason, I don't know why, but they want to be part of that world. Go find them. I, and I think that's another thing where the armor, I don't know if he had, did he have military? I don't think it was, a, it was a woman. It was a the woman. woman. Yeah, and the, I don't know. Military I don't know or law enforcement experience. I don't think there was. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. so. So are you kidding me? You're having somebody that is ensuring the safety of a set with firearms, with an inherently dangerous, this is an inanimate object, guys. Don't think this gun has a brain. I know you of two course. A gun grabbers think this, it doesn't. It's a piece this of metal. These people aren't listening. I know, I know. <laughs> what they do. Well, I hope you catch that part. But the person that is responsible for that firearm is going to be the one that should be at fault, at least initially. Now, there are other people that, are, of course, should be at fault as well because of their set, because it's their, their show. They need to make sure as well because they are in charge. But 
that person that is the armor, yeah, you, that's your job. That you make sure it's safe and go back to Hollywood again. Start hiring veterans or former law enforcement or even current law enforcement because some of these jobs are just contract jobs anyway. Wouldn't you say, to be fair though, also there are people, I mean, many of whom you've worked with that no military experience, but they are yeah. experts on firearms. I would say if I would say they're they're I wouldn't say experts, but they know farms, they know safety. So, you know, now just because you have an NRA certification doesn't make you. No, but I mean, there's, there's plenty of people you've instructed courses with. Sure. um, sure. There's even guys, right. Who are part of battle line tactical. Like there's actually a few instructors, right. No military experience. And that's where I guess if you go down their resume, they have to have, they have to have a lot of hours with firearms, not just having an NRA certification. It qualifies. And that's why I guess where I'm saying on the easy way to do it. The easy way is to find law enforcement and military because sure, you sure. don't really need to check their back. If depending on what they were, law enforcement, you know, of course they're handling firearms daily, especially if they're instructors and they instruct at the academy, like Daniel Lombard out of Devon Defense. Yeah, he is an expert at firearms. That is some guy you want on a set. He's been or I'm thinking of um uh, his name is escaping me right now, but um the the youngest instructor for battle on tactical How about the, Billings, Mike Michael or Jesse Fenley. No, 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 yeah, Jesse Fenley was Jesse. gonna say Jesse has no military experience right but i would consider jesse an expert and what you would need to do then is just provide references so jesse has tons of references from courses that he's gone through with first people not just me but other people out there that he's done courses with where you can verify you and you do you have to have that verification not just one guy uh he's good to go now has yeah. he has he been through these courses where have they been at where are they located at who have taught them are can we verify that yeah, Jesse would be an excellent one. I, you're right on that that part of the argument of not having any military. He's excellent. He's very safe. Um, again, though, just making it easy, you got tons of veterans that need work right now, too. You got yeah. law enforcement guys that are retired that don't want to be part of law enforcement anymore because maybe of the state of law enforcement where they don't feel like they're getting the support of, of their states. Not all of them. There's been some, there's some great departments out there that do. But some of those older guys are getting out. What perfect job would this be for them uh, right there? And you also have a you also have a badged officer there because they don't lose their badge when they retire. So you not only have an armor there, somebody that's safety being a safety check, an RSO, a range safety officer, I guess you could call them. But you're also having somebody that's part of law enforcement that if there is any criminal activity going on, you've got extra security right there. So I think it's a, you're, you're, you know, you got killing three birds with one stone. So regardless Whoever that armor is, Hollywood, they need to have that experience. And like on our movie, we had Harry Humphreys. Harry Humphreys is a plank owner. What that means, he's one of the original members of SEAL Team 6. Yeah, he worked with Marshenko. He's got tons of experience. And the guys that he brought on, plus us, all of us were former military. Or oh, And some of them had actually, were still currently working GRS contracts. So our movie, that I think that set the standard of safety right there. And, and they were extremely safe, extremely safe. And um, but you still got the effects of the movie and it still looked great with, you know, with everything going on around it. So, yeah, brother, I, I, you know, we are in agreement. I guess I'm just going down the easy road and I'm doing a shout out for veterans and law enforcement that need work. Hollywood, go find them. They need work. Give them a job. They know what they're doing. And believe me, they will be safe. You will you won't have an accident. 
I knock on wood, you know, Mur Murphy always rears his ugly head when you don't want Murphy to rear his ugly head. Yeah, well, I mean, and and also when we say accident, like accidents do happen, but this is a whole nother league when you yeah. point a gun at someone. And that's negligence. Gun. Yeah, that's negligence. Yeah. That's not an accidental discharge. That's a negligent discharge. And and 99.9% .9 of discharges that where you shoot a gun and the bolt comes out, and you don't want it to come out. That's negligent. So I'll be out. We don't and I mean, and, and that is like, anymore. that is the most basic fundamental of firearm safety you no. don't point a gun at someone and you certainly don't shoot, don't a gun. shoot the gun. i mean so it, this is as basic as the i i have no business being a uh armorer on a film right but if i was i would know that you, you would know that. Any, anyone would know you don't do that anyone who's ever handled a gun would know you don't do it so i mean i think this will change things for the better because you know these people getting charged with manslaughter i don't think they'll allow this to ever happen again um it is what it is. I think in terms of covering the story, the one thing that I thought was really fucked up and it's from the New York post, I saw it and, and they do a lot of stuff that I think is just sensational and ridiculous yeah, yeah. was that they took pictures of Baldwin's wife with their, with their son in the city. And they're like, Hilaria Baldwin looks distraught after husband charged with manslaughter. And so what does she have to do with this? What and, also, what is, and what does what, his kid have to his do kid with have to do anything? Yeah, that's, that's horse shit. shit. That's horse shit, dude. What, there's no reason for any of that, man. To stop. Right wing media, left wing media, you both are sensational. You both sensationalize every damn thing out there. Knock that shit off, man. Yeah, I think it's more just like paparazzi TMZ type mm -hmm. culture. And, yeah. there, you know, people will say like, oh, they're celebrities. They signed up for this. This is not in that category no. at all. And his kid sure so didn't sign up for it. So knock that shit off. Yeah, I, I'm very, you know, you know, it's good. As I'm very protective of my children and I'm not out following by any means sure. with that. And I, people don't get to see my kids. And if people take pictures of them, you, no, you're getting punched in the fucking face. It's not going to happen. Yeah. So very protective. And kids should, should be protective because kids, no matter who their fathers or mothers are, kids should be kids. Let them be kids. And, you know, with that kind of crap out there, it doesn't allow them to be children at all. And it's also, now, I mean, what is the objective of taking pictures of his wife after this? Do you want her to kill herself? Do you want like... There, obviously yeah. she's going to feel terrible about this. So stuff like that is just messed up, man. Um, Another story that I wanted to hit, you guys have heard me talk about, uh, I, you know, this is, <laughs> this hits home for me because it's my, it's my district, you know, the studio, yeah, yeah. but I'm, I'm a Long Santos, Island yeah. guy through and through and George Santos, I've mentioned him, you know, in passing the past couple of shows, just because it's come up and he's lied about everything, lied about where he went to school, lied about his job. Wide, wide about a million things, but it doesn't really pertain to us. It's politics and we don't really get into politics. But when it gets into the veteran community, that's when it pertains to what we do. So this came out in local news in uh, Patch, uh, which is a local paper. And uh, this is the headline. This is from Jacqueline Sweet of the staff there. Disabled veteran says George Santos took $3,000 from Dying Dogs GoFundMe. Two New Jersey veterans say George Santos promised to raise funds for a life-saving surgery for a service dog, then disappeared. Um, and it says here, in May 2016, Richard Ostoff was living in a tent in an abandoned chicken coop on the side of the road of Route 9 in Howell, New Jersey, with his beloved service dog, Sapphire. A veterans charity gave the pit mix to Ostoff, a disabled veteran who was honorably discharged from the U.S. Navy in 2002, he told Patch. When Sapphire developed a life-threatening stomach tumor, Ostoff, now 47, learned the surgery would cost $3,000. A veterinary technician took Ostoff aside and told him, I know a guy who runs a pet charity who can help you, Ostoff recounted. 
His name was Anthony DeVolder, and his pet charity was called Friends of Pet United, the vet tech told him. Anthony DeVolder is one of the names that Long Island Representative George Santos used for years before entering politics in 2020. Santos faces multiple criminal investigations after reports surfaced that he fabricated much of his resume during his congressional campaign. Many Democratic and Republican lawmakers on Long Island are calling for him to resign. Ostoff uh, and another New Jersey veteran, retired police sergeant Michael Bull, who tried to intervene to help Ostoff in 2016, told Patch that Santos closed the GoFundMe he set up for Sapphire after it raised $3,000 on social media, and then he disappeared. And Ostoff has, you know, the receipts to verify this, to be fair, and also to cover our ass. It's all alleged. Uh, George Santos tweeted out, uh, the reports that I would let a dog die is shocking and insane. My work in animal advocacy was the labor of love and hard work. Over the past 24 hours, I received pictures of dogs I helped reduce throughout the years. He meant to write rescue, so he didn't get that statement right. And uh, along with supportive messages, these distractions won't stop me. So, um, Was that a a Freudian slip? Reduce? No, right? Jesus, okay. I reached out to uh, Ostoff to get him on maybe to talk about this because, like I said, the lying about everything, you've said it before in the show where you said it's the modus operandi, right, of uh, politicians. Yeah. Is that the yeah. way you yeah, put it? It's the MO, man. That's that's what they yeah. do. But um, in terms of when you screw a veteran out of $3,000, allegedly, then that's our wheelhouse. It's something we want to cover. And um. Look, it's hard to take him seriously when he says I didn't do this because he lied about literally everything. And as someone in his district, I don't think people really knew much about him. They just wanted to vote a Republican in office. And I think that these were down the the ballot votes for Lee Zeldin, who is a great congressman, who is a veteran. And uh, I think people really liked him and they just went down ticket Republican. And and, um, Santos lost two years ago because I think there wasn't as strong a Republican Party locally. And I think he has Zeldin to thank for getting this seat. Um, but yeah, man, this is of all the allegations that have come out, this is a big one, man. Stealing three thousand dollars from a veteran charity for his dog, yeah. a guy who was who was basically homeless at the time. It's pretty low. It's it's very low. Did do, 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 was Santos and correct me, I don't know for sure. So was Santos a veteran? Did you read that? No, no, no Santos. He's not. Santa, he did, I mean, if he, he claimed did he lie, did he lie about that? Okay. No, no, no. But he's, he lied about work. He lied about going to NYU. He lied about working for, I believe, like Morgan Stanley or other banking companies. He lied about his own mother dying in 9 11. The guy's that's, lied about everything. That's what, yeah, that's what we talked about. That's what I knew we were talking about. Where have I heard that before? Lied about being Jewish. Jewish. Yeah. You know, it's, yeah. It's, it's sad that the people we have to pick to be in charge or have no ethics. Politicians don't. We've seen it. We, when you're talking to Brad last week at the highest levels, there's no ethics. There isn't. Um, um, you know, there's there's it's few and far between to say there's no there are some that do try. But I think that even just the just the parties themselves cause it to to be unethical. The parties are unethical. And- but I, so you know what's crazy though, man? Like when you bring a firearms instructor on, for example, right? Which we just spoke about. You do your due diligence. You make sure that this person yeah. has the qualifications that they are who they say they are. I do not understand. Yeah, how all of this has come out after the fact <laughs> that we voted for this guy. Because, I mean, if you lie about your place of employment, how does the Republican Party 
I mean, that was that's just a phone call. Call the place of call employment. It. Did this person work there? Call college. <laughs> did this person go there? How did it take this long for oh, no. all this crap to come out? I don't understand. <laughs> maybe we need. Maybe there needs to be HR departments, uh, hiring departments within the political parties, because you know that's what that, you know, that's what corporations do to check your backgrounds. You have I mean, HR like, when we do an interview, right? Like, I'll call oh, yeah. you. Hey. Is, is this guy who he says he is? And then during the interview, um, you know, we'll see if this person is who they say they are. They're going to get called out. I'll be honest, like one point in time, I, I ended up booking someone who was a phony. I learned that they were later on, but they had a bunch of they had a bunch of people who basically um, stood by them. Right. And and this was um, Wayne Simmons. A lot of you guys have heard about that. But but by and large, right, I would say I, I have a good track record. I think, you know, most people I work with do. And like, that's just an interview, right? That's not running on the ballot to be yeah, a congressman. Yeah. And I don't understand how you don't spend. I mean, you could have you could have taken a day to do some phone calls and yeah. you would have seen this person is not who they say they are. And this just doesn't happen within the political world, which is why there's so many damn problems and why there's so uh, there's no integrity why they're untrusting untrustworthy um why there's no ethics you know people do slip through the cracks you know i don't think that's in this case you know hopefully we'll have gabriel gabe on one of these days gabe ruff and we'll talk about matt marshall who we he fooled a lot of us as being a force recon marine and which he wasn't took a bunch of money there's a whole story about matt marshall out there guys for you guys that have worked with matt and know you know what i'm talking about and it's horse shit and hopefully we get gabe on who was a grs operator with me was a pj before and worked with uh, but what i'm saying is that even when you do, like you said, do the due diligence, sometimes you will do it all. And we did it. And he, and he had the back. We thought he did. I mean, he was supposed to be getting checked. He had the resume. He still fooled a lot of us as being a force recon Marine. He wasn't. And it, it, it for years, we didn't find out till later. And, and like I said, karma always catches up. To you. It always does. Murphy always catches up. You know, you know, you know, it's, it's a bit, the stripper's name is karma. That's, that's life, but that's how it is. But in this case too, though, you know, and we talk about the importance of being careful giving to GoFundMe's. You don't do it. You know, you and Jack and Jack Murphy's big on no, we don't. This is one of the reasons why. Well, well it depends people. on depends on who. Like, if you're talking about, because I, I since you mentioned him, like when Dave Park, right? When yeah, he yeah. was injured. I gave that GoFundMe. Okay, I knew exactly who it was going to. But there was you and Jack are pretty strong, and I'm I'm with you. Very pretty strong about. I think as long as I know. I mean, if you were running a GoFundMe, right? I trust you. I know you. You know, I mean, it probably depends on who the person is. <laughs> yeah, you, I, it's just be careful. I, that's, I guess, my my thing is just I, you got to be careful because you don't ever know what's going to happen. And with this jag off taking three grand, that's that that that's low. How can you, I don't know how people can live with them damn selves? Well, how can you live with yourself taking money from a veteran that needs that service dog and? And do you not think he might not go down that spiral and take his life? And you're okay with that. You're okay with possibly him taking his life because you needed that 3K. And I didn't see in the story. I did read it. I know I obviously didn't remember a lot of it, but I read it. He said to me last night, it didn't ever say what he did with the 3K, did it? No, so nobody no, still knows what happened to it. So it seems like Santos was a guy who like kind of got by month by month because he wasn't someone who worked for all these bank companies. He worked in a call center. He was late on his rent many times and things wow. like that. So, yeah, I think that's just the type of guy he was. We we do have to get, of course, to uh, command Army Sergeant Major Frank Rippey. Before we do, we're talking about firearms. We're talking about the importance of firearm safety and the best 
ammo out there is Fort Scott Munitions. Fort Scott Munitions. If you hold yeah. it up, people, I got, I got my, I got mine now. I got mine. I'm holding it up. I finally got my tin. Nice. My, my own tin. I didn't have one. I signed like 500 of these things, but yeah. Awesome That's what's tins. up, man. Yeah. yeah. So they're a manufacturer. You guys know is of uh, multi-federal patented solid copper and brass CNC spun ammo. It's designed to tumble upon impact in soft tissue, leaving devastating wound channels for faster bleed out and quicker incapacitation. Yeah, awesome. This ammo was originally developed to innovate and improve on the standard of military grade ammunition design. It was found that not only did the TUI ammunition outperform competitors in the self-defense industry, but it quickly became apparent that it would be a top contender for hunters alike. With the ammunition being CNC spun, the tolerances are some of the tightest on the market, ensuring that you receive the same results with every pull of the trigger. Go to fortscottmunitions.com, use the promo code BATTLELINE, you're going to get 15% off through us. That's only available to our listeners. And uh, you can also go to the dealer locator and see where they're selling ammo by you. Um, so yeah, Fort Scott Munitions is a proud supporter of Chris Peranto, Battleline Tactical, and the Battleline Podcast, fsm.com promo code battleline also this show is sponsored by our great friends at bubs naturals they have a lot of uh new products coming out and then you got the collagen buying oh yeah well i was late getting on you know me i'm always late getting on the with you not today that's because i brought the collagen over with me and started in my coffee but man that stuff is awesome and it it really is helping me in my recovery and my quad tendon rupture uh, guys, I, Bubs Naturals, all the stuff they have, and they're the you know, great discounts with us. Plus, they always have special discounts that just pop up. Like today, I think I got an email saying there's a 23% off because of January. Uh, their best collagen, best best pre-workout, MC2 oil stuff helps with your gut and the best gummies out there, the apple cider vinegar gummies. And they've got the uh, Fountain of Youth stuff out there. Again, my wife swears by it. And yeah, she still looks like she's, you know, 30. She, she is 30 though i was just saying <laughs> so first she's lit but it's best stuff out there guys tremendous tremendous supplements yeah and and collagen is such an important supplement to get i mean a lot of people are probably getting started on their gym you know their gym journey yeah. with the new year yeah. uh happening and and a lot of people are wondering like what supplements do i need and a lot of supplements if you really look at it it's stuff you're already getting in your diet if you're yeah. eating clean if you're eating the right stuff um so a lot of it you really don't need but something you do need is collagen. You're really not getting that in your diet every day. Um, yeah, and it's so important for hair, skin, nails, for joint recovery, for muscle recovery. Uh, yeah, it just it's just a great supplement. It's it's vital, I would say. So bubsnaturals.com. Use the promo code BATTLELINE. You're going to get 20% off. Also, you're helping the Glenn Doherty Memorial Foundation every time that you buy their stuff. So you can feel good that you're giving back to a great cause that helps military veteran families helps education for uh the the children of fallen veterans and that yep. type of thing so they do a lot of great work bubsnaturals.com use the promo code battleline for 20 percent off so joining us for the first time on the show and as i said during the intro i can't believe it's 171 episodes yeah. in because you are someone that chris has wanted on from the very beginning i'm just glad yeah, what took you so long you I, blame, it's true. You blame I, him, I, man. You, blame you can that, blame yeah. me. You, you could blame was me. I, was I practicing for you or, or were you rehearsing for me? We were we <laughs> had to make sure the show was just right before like, okay, we're ready, we're ready for this the man of this magnitude, this this ranger, <laughs> unbelievable monster of a man. Some of the heroes you've had on here. God bless y'all. Uh, no, thanks. thank you. Well, the, these are these are the episodes this audience really loves. I mean, mm -hmm. we've had people that you would say 
they're celebrities. But the truth is, I think this audience yeah. loves hearing from guys like yourself with the accolades that you have. Um, so, yeah, without further ado, Command Army Sergeant Major Frank Grippy to really give the full resume of who you are, it would take like half an hour. So I'll give <laughs> what I can of the Cliff Notes version. 34-year-long military career, served in combat throughout pretty much all of GWAT, yeah. throughout the entire global war on terror, served in infantry as a paratrooper, also in ranger units. So many distinguished uh, you know, accolades, distinguished service medal, Purple Heart, a whole uh, lot of others. And yeah, as I said, it's it's an honor to have you on, Command Ar Army Sergeant Major Frank Rippey. Well, Ian, it's a pleasure to be on here. And the only reason I'm still walking, talking, and breathing, <laughs> I got supposedly all these accolades and awards, is because of good people like Chris uh, over the years and those good soldiers out there do the use of followership that make it happen. And those great officers and senior NCOs who mentored me over the years. And obviously, you know, allowed me to take command of some great troops and get after the bad guys in combat and obviously in training, too. Yeah. So, you know, it goes both ways and uh, all around. It's all good stuff. Great to be on the show with you all. Hey, Sergeant Major, thanks. But I and do you want I know I'll, I'm going to slip. I'll call you Frank sometimes. I'll You're talk fine. to you, Sergeant Major. I, you, I, you know, but, um, you know, when I first met you, and we'll talk about that, you know, I was a private, you were a first sergeant over there at, at BCO, you know, first with, uh, with, uh, you took over for first sergeant Nolan, I believe it was. And then it was captain the camera Pete came in. Um, exactly. But before that, you know, you were a guy. And honestly, I was Actually, extremely it was first Sergeant Dietrich, not to cut Dietrich. You. Dietrich. It was Dietrich. Yeah. I'm sorry. So it he was... scared you so much. You couldn't even remember his I name. I couldn't remember as well. He always was talking to Gazoo. I always remember it was Gazoo. He always was talking to Gazoo. <laughs> it was like his thing. Well, I remember when I came into the first time to the barracks and I saw him talking to somebody on his shoulder. Mm -hmm. And I look at Lidner. It was, we were both came in yeah. together. And, and I'm like, who the hell? And then we asked, uh, uh, we had the Herminator. We had, you know, we had, we had a, uh, uh, as a squad leader and then i had specialist forster off uh, specialist foster and i said who's he talking to he goes don't worry about it he's just talking to kazoo it's on his shoulder just 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 let him be let him be but he was an awesome first sergeant too but when you came in you know you're you to me your 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 demeanor your your the way you held yourself that was ranger-esque that was what i wanted to be and then you, you had your you had your master stains but so i don't know much about i know you were there i know you you were there you were there uh early on i guess i'd like to know just that coming early on being a private when you first came in and and how you grew up because i didn't know you till you were first sergeant so you already got a lot of years in um and what that was like and what the army was like back then, because it, I do agree back when it was hard, it was always harder prior. It was, I ain't gonna lie. My trial, my trial was harder than the guys going in now. I do believe that you definitely was harder than when I went in, but what was that like when you first went in and, and being a, being a private, because I was a private, what was your private? You know, it, like? it's funny you bring that up, Chris, because one of the things, one of my talking points over the years, it's, it's always harder in the past. <laughs> and one of the True. analogies I use you know, when I was on the airborne track in August of 1981, for my 12 weeks of infantry, one station unit training at yeah. Harmony Church. Harmony Church, holy shit. Oh, oh, yeah. Long time ago. Long time ago. Yeah. When our, our barracks were condemned. But, you know, when I got down to uh, the airborne track, you know, our black hats, and I got a lot of stories from most of it, too, with my Vietnam veteran mentors and drill sergeants. I mean, you know, what a great bunch of people. I mean, 
we still had the Vietnam era. Wow. The Vietnam equipment as I came in. But, you know, one of the things, you know, I heard one of the black hats say was, listen, you people were born in the 60s. Your chromosomes are all screwed up because your parents were on acid and drugs. You're not- <laughs> and then he starts laughing. He goes, you know, when I came in, those Korean War rockasons and, you know, they were out here hammering us, you know, because of X, Y, Z and ABC and we'll never make it. And obviously those, those, those high speed black hats from the fifties were, or should I say the high speed black hats in the fifties were smoking those Korean war veterans. Why? Because they had the five mustard things two and they are the greatest generation before yeah. they are the greatest generation. So the point I want to make is, you know, as you maneuver through any walks of life, and especially in the military, you're, you're always going to hear on how hard it was. But I'll leave the audience with this. You know, this, this global war on terror has gone on for 20 years now. And we've had some great Americans stand up, learn how to be warriors, and go nose to nose with these psychopaths, you know, all throughout the Middle East. Central Asia and other portions of, you know, North Africans yeah. goes beyond. So, you know, with that said, yeah, it, it's always harder in the past and we can compare notes and all that, but the president is now, and I just want to congratulate all those young warriors who are still walking, talking and breathing and getting after it. And Chris, it's been Ian, it's folks that you mentored. It's folks that I mentored that are out there carrying on the legacy. Yeah. You know, I, I'm just an old paratrooper guy. I grew up in Northern New York. Up in the Mohawk Valley, you know, I had I had war stories from from the French and Indian War, the Revolution, uh, the War of eighteen twelve, Rogers Rangers. Since I was a kid, you know, was was one of my heroes. I mean, that's where it all happened. It all operated. You know, there was you know American militias. There 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 was Tory militias. There was my beloved Mohawk Indians and the Iroquois, and all that that civil war that happened in Northern New York. And part of that, you know, there was those voyagers from France and, and, and their Indian allies who would raid down into the Mohawk Valley. So I grew up in an area where, I mean, it was just death and destruction throughout the early history. That <laughs> sort of turned me on. I had a World War II dad, a World War II mom. You know, my dad's a Sicilian immigrant. He came here at 12. Oh, I didn't know that. Wow. An American citizen. Yeah, don't let the, don't let the white skin fool you, man. Yeah. <laughs> Day. I was born late in life. You know, he was 52. My mom was 42. But, you know, he went over to Europe as an American citizen soldier. Then the first deployed forces, you know, he, he fought in Europe, you know, Normandy, phase one, all the way through. Wow. My mom, he married a lovely British lass. She's Scotch-Irish. And that's... Mm-hmm. Yes, that's where I get my light skin from, obviously. And your ability to drink? Is that where you get your drinking ability is from your well, mom's side? On the mom's side, yeah. There's a lot of adventure on my mom's side. There's some quite interesting people on my dad's side. So if you like I tell people, especially our, our partner forces and people I'm trying to influence overseas, you know, if if people wonder why I could operate in an insurgency so well, it's because I grew up with family, family family. You have, you know, the outer family, the tribe, in other words. And then and then you'll have a second thought about the, you know, the village government and state government and 
it's all family, family, family. And where we operate for the majority of the time against, you know, the president's enemies and, and those individuals we want to positively influence, you, know, you got to understand that culture. The bottom line is, you know, through influences, my, my parents would rather have not seen me join the military, especially going airborne infantry rangers and all that. Uh, you know, they had lived through it. My mom's house was, uh, you know, bombed. My I had uncles wounded in action, this and that. You know, my mom during, because of her age in her early 20s, she would leave the bomb shelters with the civilian group and, and, you know, assist by the bombings were going on. So funny thing is, and we'll talk about this later, but as I grew older and understood my parents, wonderful people, but think of that, Sicilian, Scottish, Irish. You talk about a wild household growing up. And, you know, both of them in one sense or another had post-traumatic from the fight. Sure. And, uh, you know, it was amazing as, as I watched them grow old and I learned more about, you know, the capabilities and, and what we do in the military and after, you know, experience in war myself, you could pick up some of them traits. But, you know, obviously, you know, I went through jump school, you know, 509th Airborne when it was stationed in Vicenza, Italy. You know, I, I made a comment the other day to this, um, uh, this one class I, I mentor along with uh, Major General K.K. Chin through uh, uh, the United States Army Pacific Command and Indio PACOM, Regional Leader Development Program. You know, I talked about how I pray for the people of Vicenza every day from my, my paratrooper mistresses back in the early <laughs> 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 now, that's, that's another story we can pick up on theater security cooperation and so forth. But, um, you know, again, you know, I, I went on to be regimentalized. That unit was, um, you know, retired, the 509th. And it was regimentalized with the 325, 325th Infantry Regiment out of Fort Bragg. So when I left Italy, I went to Fort Bragg. And, uh, you know, I was a brand new buck sergeant, worked my way through the 82nd, became a staff sergeant. You know, in one year I went through, um, I went through jump master training, ranger school, seer school. Wow. And then from there, you know, I, I, I had the need of training to test the waters of second range battalion. So, you know, unlike a lot of individuals that went through the pipeline like yourself, I went through the Ranger Orientation Program back then. So you're you're an E5, or you're a sergeant, or a staff, I was a staff sergeant? sergeant. I was a, staff I was a sergeant. junior staff sergeant. Okay. And I went up to okay. Charlie Company First Platoon, the infamous Mad Slashers. <laughs> got to give I got to give my Mad Slashers a call out here. Charlie Company Criminal Company. Uh, yeah, it's a, that's I don't want to hear about criminals and casual <laughs> property and this and that. But you know, went from there to you know, squad leader to, you know, I'll be, one of the, the, the craziest things that happened to me up there was as you're fitting in and going through the aspect of maturing into that squad leader position and into the platoon, my platoon sergeant at the time received a DUI on September 27, 1989. So the morning of my birthday, September 28, 1989, I won't mention the first sergeant's name, but for 15 minutes, I got my ass chewed by this first sergeant wondering what the hell did I do? And he told me to go upstairs and take charge of first platoon because my platoon sergeant had got a DUI the evening before. So he chewed your ass out 
to take charge. Yeah, that, that's motivation. I guess that's not. Hoorah! You know, <laughs> hey, ass shoes are ass shoes. You know what I mean, brother? That's not. But like you know, Coach Jackson, it's not the Bernie. triangle, are we? We're, we're like, you're son of a bitch. You're taking over. God, you suck. But get up there and be in charge. Get the hell up there. You're the new guy. I've been there for less than a year, and I got people. I got Rangers at you know NCOs. Yeah, they went through the system. They had you know tenure on me, so you know that caused a bit of an issue. And, uh, you know, that's probably one of the, the better learning points in my life on how to influence, how to work through that type of conflict management and take charge and keep the morale up in a platoon, even though, you know, you're getting back to that. Because the, the term, imp I mean, when I was there, import was still a bad thing. If you're oh, exactly. an import coming, exactly. so was it, still the, was it still the same then? You were basically an import and you're like, holy it shit. It was probably a little worse than when you got there because over the years, as we matured and became more specialized and so forth, <laughs> Army became, you know, I'll just leave it like that. You know, there was things <laughs> that went on in the past. <laughs> yeah, it didn't go on in my day, you know what I mean? Of course. <laughs> You know, uh, finally, you know, got the platoon uh, under control as a staff sergeant, not promotable. And then, you know, here comes just cause. And I'm a platoon sergeant, you know, of. You're an E6P platoon sergeant. Oh, yeah. Import and chart. How Import. did you get, how did you get, tell me, how did you get the guys together? And how'd you get those other E6s to, to listen to you? I, I you mean, know, something, it's, it's, it's you, you have to have the expertise of understanding, you know, how to be the professional, how to have those stern talks, how to look people in the eye. And it's like, I'm going to kill you. I don't have time for this, nor does have time for this. You know what I mean, I didn't ask for this. I didn't pay for this, yeah. you know, position I'm here. So either we have some followership here and I don't even know that term back there, but it's like, listen, I need your support. I'm going to support you and we're going to make sure this platoon successful. Or we can go behind the woodshed and fucking, I remember that. No, or we can go in the squad know. room and have it out. I, I, I remember those. I mean, it was still kind of went you're on. You're right. You're right. But right. I'll, 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 I'll keep the politics <laughs> in, in the threats. <laughs> For those who know me and grew up with me, everyone knows my background, Chris. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and Ian's over there staring like, oh my God. I oh no no! This I'm is not, I'm, I'm, I I'm sitting back and and observing. So, this is this so is as a awesome. young squad leader, my first combat experience, you know, in my first major deployment, besides going into the Sinai, yeah, Peninsula for peacekeeping, which was quite the adventure as a squad leader, because back then to regress a little bit, the best way to make Sergeant E five back then was to do a tour in the Sinai and show up as a staff sergeant. You get those two together. <laughs> So many issues that could take place on remote sites and all that. That could get you hammered. You know what I mean? Get you knocked out. Yep. So we'll leave it like that. But anyway, so here I am in Second Range Battalion, you know, young staff sergeant. And uh, next thing you know, I'm, I'm a platoon sergeant and I go through that conflict resolution period. And, and next thing you know, we you know, the platoon's cohesive and we get the no notice deployment to take down Rio Hotel Panama after Riega. So listen, you know, we only got so much time in this interview, but, but I want to I want to tell you one of the proudest, you know, moments of life besides exiting that aircraft over Rio Hato at night under fire was when we finally got to Fort Benning, Georgia, which was going to be our remote marshaling base. Yeah. And after having this deception story and all that, they were doing another training exercise at Fort Bliss, da 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 da. You know, I finally get the platoon. 
you know, after this 141 ride from Fort Lewis to Fort Benning, wow. you know, the pack shed, right? The infamous pack shed. And literally, we had just done a rehearsal a few days prior. And we jumped into, I think it was auxiliary field six or five in Florida, not knowing we we're rehearsing for just cause. And no one knew that that weekend, you know, the, these Panamanian thugs were going to kill a couple of American officers and, you know, sexually assault an American officer's wife. Long story short, you know, George Bush took action and we were on the point of the spirit, as, as you both know. So when I got the platoon together, one of my squad leaders told me, because no one in the platoon knows this is real world. One of my squad leaders who then went on to the unit and, be the, and became an officer, he goes, hey, he goes, he goes, Sergeant Grippy, those third Ranger Battalion gun sheets have live ammunition on it. So now the cat's out of the bag. What am I going to tell him? So we weren't in the remote, remote marshland base yet. So I broke offset. And I'm like, listen, I just put everyone at attention, put them at ease. I go, listen up, Rangers, look at your wall. It's 2300, okay, Monday night. And I go in in little over four hundred, in a little over twenty four hours, we will be exiting aircraft over Rio Hato, Panama, to take down Noriega and bring some peace and security to that country. Ooh. I'll tell you what, that whole range of platoon looked at me. The eyes went like that for like just a fraction of a second. I always get I, get, I always get teary eyed. I won't today though. But those guys, for that fraction of a second, everything just startled, eyes went wide, and a fraction of a second later, weapons are up in the air, and they're all yelling, ooh! <laughs> uh, you, you know, you gotta love the Rangers, you know? So, you know, we, we put them, you know, back into formation and off to uh, off the remote marshaling base we met. And with that whole procedure, and about 24 hours later, I mean, only Rangers could do this. No sleep, no rest. There's an ice storm going on. We're in a, we're in a remad, and we jump out under fire and fall on a real auto. There was never a lot of you know um, attention given to that fight, but it, but if you really want to understand discipline, small unit training, and, and teamwork, and, and people standing up, oh my God, what a fight! What a brawl! And, and by sunup, I mean ninety nine percent of the mission was complete. You know. And if yeah. you Later, you know, Noriega turned himself in. We had some other follow-up missions, of, you know, with both, you know, security operations. And, uh, you know, right after the jump, about a day and a half later, you know, we went on a couple of adventures with our, our unit buddies, you know, acting yeah. as positions. <laughs> away we went. And then from there, you know, I, I kept the platoon. I was promoted about two years later. No, about a year and a half later, I okay. came Came up on a promotion list, then you know, maneuver off to uh, the three shop where I never wanted to be a staff NCO, but uh, Sergeant Major Magania, yeah, Maria, old Franco, he's <laughs> like, Listen, stop your whining. He goes, Either go take, I, I had no clue here. This is an honor. I'm, I'm going into a master sergeant position. Hell, now it's a sergeant major position. You know, he's making me the ops. He's like, Hey, either go there. Or you could go find another <laughs> down the road in Legland. I mean, so whatever. So then I spent about a little over two years as, um, you know, non-promotable sergeant first class. Okay. And, and from there, 
that's where I really learned the bigger picture of the whole uh, government approach. A lot of what we made successful in the war on terror, we were already doing in the Joint Special Operations Command with our combined joint interagency task force and so forth, whole government approach. And we were doing those type of operations. So by the time I met, you know, Private Chris Peranto, <laughs> I was a brand new first sergeant, but I was highly tenured with that bigger knowledge. And then obviously at the tactical level, you know, cool. supporting the rifle companies, yeah, and all their training and all that. So, you know, when I, when I linked up with, uh, you know, Captain Look Camera back then, I was fully prepared and knowledgeable in a humble sense, you know, to be able to take BCO and to carry on, you know, as uh, maybe not as well as first as my good buddy Carlton Dietrich, but, you know, to keep up to that big boots. And if you could see the big boots involved from the very beginning, Eco, it's amazing. Well, I, you know, I, just the the blessing. What no it, blessing? I, I guess I look back like I got to serve as a private for Dietrich and Grippy. You know, at the first time I was in, and then and then is is he lieutenant general now, the camera, or is he is he even higher than that now? So <clears throat> Paul and I went on to um, clandestinely. I can't even use that word. I mean, God bless it. And we had that that incident. On Super Bowl Sunday, the great engineer raid. I guess we could say for another time over a beer, and we can't count that. <laughs> you know, we actually linked back up in the 10th Mountain Division. As yeah, a the command sergeant major, I went up to the 10th Mountain Division going, Oh my God, I'm going, I'm going to a leg unit. And it's in my home state. You're going home, yeah. Army, that means the army probably wants me to retire and 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 they're trying to save on on move on movement monies <laughs> send me back home now what an idiot as 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 you grow up and you mature but that was my head when all that sergeant majors academy it's like you know you just expect you're gonna go back to a jump unit we were back in as like, yeah. i can see CSM. long story short i linked up with uh another ranger hero kurt fuller who went on to be sure. you know a flag officer and doing great things as a division commander brigade commanders and combat same thing at the time so, um, you know, I had a year with uh, Kurt Fuller, Ranger Fuller, and then, uh, you know, my old company commander shows up, all the camera, and, uh, you know, the rest is sort of history. You know, we did a change of command. We went down to West Point for the summer. We were the, the Army task, bid time to support cadet training at West Point. We came home, refit for a couple of weeks, went on leave for a couple of weeks, came back. We were just getting ready to go back in the training. Where uh, you know nine the incident of nine eleven happened, and again the rest is history. You know, as a you know, as as a non division ready force one unit, as a unit that was not receiving replacements because all the other units in the Tenth Mountain you know, World World Missions, Bosnia, Kosovo, Sinai, here's this understrength battalion. We blow out to Uzbekistan in support of you know our nation's first hits into uh, Afghanistan and, you know, there was a lack of, of uh, you know, end of, or should I say units to conduct quick reactionary force uh, activities for, you know, the, the, the combined force over there, our combined special operation yeah. force, which was led by fifth group, obviously, you know, Colonel now then retired General Mulholland. But, you know, I mean, the honor was this guy, you know, he watched the way we acted. And, you know, we could go into the aspects of standards and discipline now. 
But here's a, a, a typical light infantry unit. And this is the beauty of being in war for all these years. You know, the Ranger Regiment mentality implanted on a normal infantry unit, you know, made them a higher trained and standard unit. And the Special Forces guys could see that immediately. So when it came time to choose a quick reactionary force, well, he didn't get a Ranger company, but he got one of our rotating infantry companies from the 10th Mountain, 1st Battalion, 87th Infantry, two of the top. May I say, we were the first ones in Afghanistan, the first conventional troops in there. And, uh, you know, again, uh, that, that, that was another period of my career where it's like, you know, these standards, these discipline, tactics, it works. You know, the way we motivate, the way we instruct and mentor, it works. Yeah. Again, those, those are some things I wanted to throw in on combat. And, and again, from there, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm doing too much talking. No, no, yeah, we, 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 we watch it too. We, we, you know, when I do these type of uh, talks and interviews, I just hope that someone in the audience could grab one of these golden nuggets of information. Oh, they will. His or her rucksack and use it either like now or in the future. You know, absolutely. For things, both, both in the military and in business, you know, because a lot of what we do in the military obviously translate directly to business. Yeah, I mean, Chris knows that, I think, better than most. I mean, the fact that you do all these corporate speeches, I, I think a lot of people realize that, yeah, you, it, it, I, the civilian and soldier gap, it's not as far apart as, as we make it out to be sometimes. Just understanding the nomenclatures and all that in the business world and so forth. And, you know, on our part, erasing a lot of the stigma that comes out of warfare in our soldiers when it comes to post-traumatic and other wounds, you know, a lot of times civilian entities, you know, they, they, they'll talk about wanting to hire veterans, but a lot of times, you know, they're, they're scared about it. And, and the one thing I'll, I'll, I'll say is that, you know, veterans, especially combat veterans, and we don't need sympathy. You know what I mean? What we need is to get out there and make an impact with everything we have. As simple as that, as simple as that. Now I'm all about, yeah, thank you for your service. And you know, sometimes I'm a wise ass. I'm like, well, thanks for paying your taxes. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed bringing some of America's finest young men and women into combat and destroying, you know, the enemies of the free world. But are you are you are you translating some of that today? Because I mean, for you, you lived your entire adult life up to recently in the military. It's a 34 yeah. year long career. So now in like this current phase yeah. of where you're at in life, have you taken those lessons into business, into other things? I have. I have definitely. And, and, and it's it's always a learning process and it's always understanding the mentality, you know, the 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 actual cost benefit analysis where in the military, what we do, you know, it's, it's mission complete completion. It's mission success. You know, it, it's training for a certain event. It's a military activity, you know, and you got to win. It, it's bringing peace and security. You know, the whole aspect I always believe in is the U S military that, you know, provides the majority and peace and security around the world on a daily basis, just by the way we're based in our missions. Yeah. Yeah. 
keep a lot of these, you know, these psycho actors, you know, in a, in a certain place where they're more manageable. You know, we keep the air, airways open, the seaways open. And like I tell people on Wall Street, it's like, yeah, you know, you're, you're great for the American economy, all right? You generate revenue, but I'll tell you what, if it wasn't for our folks out there on the border with North Korea, if it wasn't for the fleets out there keeping sea lanes open and so forth, and the Air Force they're doing, and the boots on the ground that the Army and the Marines provide, I mean, bud, you know, this, this world would be in total, total disorder. And, uh, and I truly believe that because everyone here, for the most part, has been overseas and experienced that. Simple as that. So, you know, our, our young men and women, you know, they, they do a great deed for this country. And we're all humble about it. And we don't need any sympathy. But, but again, you know, we need great overwatch from the government, from the Veterans Administration when it comes to the treatment of, you know, both you know, the, the open wounds that we received. Sure. As well as, you know, the post-traumatics and those hidden wounds. So, uh, yeah, it, we don't need sympathy, but, you know, we're, we're a special breed of people that uh, go out there and do wonderful things out there in the civilian community. And across the board, we are every day. I could talk all day about, you know, ranger officer friends of mine, and not just rangers, but, you know, across the whole spectrum, you know, and NCO friends of mine, include, you know, junior enlisted people who go out there and just make a killing, you know, in business. It's amazing. You know, the amount of people I've seen who come in the army and in the military as a whole from some of the worst conditions in America, the broken families, the abuse, the, you know, growing up on the wrong side of the tracks, everyone to name it. And then going in the military and just catch that, that spirit of discipline and organization and become a great citizen. And that we, what's, that's what we do in the military. As well as win our nation's wars, we build great citizens. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes we don't talk about that enough. Yeah, I, you know what I wanted to ask you about? Because as you were just saying how people in America, in the corporate world, they get to do all this business internationally. And you're like, but if it wasn't for the military protecting us and being in all these places, you wouldn't be able to do what you do. So, I mean, it's kind of been a theme on the show, I think, with Chris and I speaking with veterans. And everybody has a different opinion on this. Uh, I don't think there's like a right or wrong answer, but like from someone who's had the 37-year-long military yeah. career, who's done things on your level, we often talk about the whole military being the world police. And there's always those people who say, our military is spread too thin. Why do we have bases in Japan? Why do we have bases in Korea? Why do why, why is the military everywhere? Shouldn't the military just be about protecting America and our interests? I just want to know from your perspective, is it good that we have military bases everywhere on the globe? Well, you know, that's a great point. I mean, this nation provides more blood and treasure <laughs> to help keep peace and security around the world. And, 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 you know, in an economic sense, peace and security lends to what? You know, it, it lends to uh, where people could earn money, people could spend money, there, there's products that are available, and there's a higher standard of lifestyle for people across the board, security, judicial, medical, you know, people have a better lifestyle. But without security, the simplicity of security, well, you can't have that. And that is what the military provides, you know, there's the acronym DIME, you know, the diplomatic, the, the information, the military, the economics, 
you know, it's, it's a real simple acronym, but when you look at it hard, you know, the, the diplomacy that the America, the, the United States conducts worldwide is, is ultra important, is, is we build great relations, you know, both with, you know, friendly nations, nations we want to positively influence, and our competitors, and, and bottom line, in our world, there are enemies out there. And we know who our enemies are. You know, our friends next door in the State Department, work and sell, they may call them competitors. You know, in the military cell, it's like it's only a certain amount of time that a balloon goes up. And they're going to understand with 7.62, 5.56, marksmanship, NCO leadership, and games are. Simple as that. You know what I mean? But the bottom line is, why do we have bases around the world? Because since the end of World War II, you know, we have influence around the world to help with security. You know, why do we have bases in South Korea, for instance? That should be pretty obvious. The problem is, you know, academia-wise, you know, we're, we're forgetting the aspect of World War I, World War II, the Cold War era, and a lot of the, 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 the brush fire issues that have happened since the fall of the Soviet Union and now the rise of China in the brush war issues and some of the issues with our religious fanatics and, and just tribal issues in here and there around the world. Yeah. And so, so why do we have people that are on float? Why do we have the Air Force monitoring different airlines? You know, why do we have the Army boots on the ground in like 125 plus countries conducting theater security cooperation so we can better these countries so they can better secure themselves and have a better standard of living. The bottom line up front, the United States goes out of its way to help bring peace and security. It's as simple as that. And it takes our military to have boots on the ground to do that. And, and I just want to throw this in there. I'll tell you what. When I talk to the whole government approach people and so forth, and we're talking strategy, all the interagencies, and I'm looking at the bigger picture, and especially with the other services, we talk about the Pacific, for instance. You know, it's a naval and it's an Air Force major operation in the Pacific. But then again, you know, command sergeants, majors, you know, we're the commanders of common sense. So I like to tell people, <laughs> one inch of Pacific Ocean where a human being lives, you know? There's like, I think 15 plus of the mega cities of the world out in the Pacific region, people live on land and it takes boots on the ground yeah. and influence that. And the more theater security cooperation we do, you know, to provide to our foreign partners, the better off we're gonna be and let them secure their own nations and let them help provide, you know, that buffer between the competitor, China, or in Eastern Europe, the competitor, Russia. See where I'm going with this? Or in the Middle East, the competitor, Iran, Iran. Yeah. that we're not supposedly at war at, but they're at war with us. You know, North Korea, you know, we're, we're supposedly you know, not in an active war with North Korea, but we've never signed, you know, an actual peace agreement with North Koreans. So if you wonder why there's American forces there, because it goes right back to the ending 
of hostilities, open hostilities in the Korean War. And what we do, when you put American forces on the ground somewhere, that sends a message to the bad people within that nation that want to overthrow a government or those nations within the periphery that either want to influence or take that land for themselves and that nation for themselves. That means they got to specifically deal with us. And again, one of the things I want to talk about, and it's not always they're going to specifically just deal with the United States, but they're going to deal with our partners. You know, we work with alliances. We work in partnerships. And that's what helps keep the world at a slow boil. You see that continually <laughs> in the Middle East and the Far East, you know, influence, yeah. both diplomatically, militarily, and especially militarily. That's what really keeps the peace. I, I want to talk real quick about theater security cooperation, how important it is for our military and as a nation. You know, back when I was at the Central Command, Command Senior Leader, you know, we, we had the, those, those, um, uh, the Arab Spring happened, you know, yeah. we had issues in, well, we still have the issues in Syria, we had issues in Tunisia, and even at the time, you know, the Muslim Brotherhood, you know, was elected democratically, you know, as the leaders of Egypt. Well, after a little bit of time, you know, the people of e Egypt, you know, they, they found their folly by having these people as their leaders, so you could call it a full coup, a soft coup, a military coup, whatever you happen, you know, the mother, the Muslim Brotherhood was taken out of the government within Egypt. And obviously you had this flashpoint there. Why? Because Egypt is one of the most influential Arab states. Canal, this, this commerce continually flows through there. You know, one of our partner nations, Israel, you know, has a lot of sensitivity, obviously, to what the Egyptians are up to. And for the most part, here's the point I want to make. The commander-in-chief of, or the, yeah, the commander-in-chief of the Egyptian Armed Forces was a guy named General Assisi. He's now the president in that country. Yeah. He had, from a young lieutenant, he had exercised with the Americans, been to our schools, he knew General Mattis, the CENTCOM commander at the time. He knew and went to school with our, 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 our current or our present chairman of the Joint Chiefs at the time. Okay. So the point I want to make is when we reach out through theater security cooperation, a lot of these young lieutenants and officers, they grew up to be the leaders of those nations. And when all hell was breaking loose in Egypt, what you didn't see was what you saw in Libya, as you well know, Chris, where the, you know, the, the Gaddafi army was just slaughtering the population. You didn't see like you saw in Syria, where Assad and his forces were just slaughtering the population. What you saw in Egypt was a professional military secure the Suez Canal and provide, you know, emergency service and law enforcement to the peoples of Egypt. And it became a good news story. And that only happened because of our influence in that nation. And most of all, because of our military influence through theater security cooperation. So again, you know, <laughs> I tell people, you know, back in the day, theater security cooperation was, you know, you sent a ranger company or, a, you know, an army unit somewhere, 
you, you outshoot, you out road march, you out hand to hand combat, you drink more, you know, you tear up local villages in that country, you hug and kiss, and you go back home. Well, now there's more of a doctrine to it. You know, we like to go there, we like to understand the culture, we like to get involved in the culture, and we like to show their military and their law enforcement and the people themselves, you know, just the goodness of what we do and how they need to mirror us to have that, that positive effect in our nation. So I had a couple of things I wanted to bring up that was one of the talking points, leader security cooperation, all right? I, uh I, I I I I don't want to make sure I'm not going to cut you off until you because this this is you know uh, cut stuff. me off oh, you guys oh. are on a timeline I don't even know how well, yeah. no my my thing is is you know doing this and and spending ten years of my own self overseas in many of these countries as well one thing I, I did see and I you know as far as presence of American units or the agency mm -hmm. itself when I was with the agency some of these countries that. I felt when we left, we're better off having having a, a dictator in charge. Libya, for one, Libya is way worse than it was, I believe, when Gaddafi was. So, presence. When do we when do we only have a presence? What, in your opinion, and when do we go too far and say, okay, we need to actually input or or if or, or um, start to influence militarily with with weapon systems? Oh my gosh, now yeah. we just created a vacuum of power. We screwed this place. I, I mean, Egypt, you're right. Egypt, I believe they did it correct because they had some military leaders that were U.S. trained. They did by U.S. doctrine. Of course, Syria and Libya did not. And I spent a lot of time in that area, as far as you know. I mean, as, as you know. Um, the But my thing again is, that, all right, we fucked these places up worse because the devil we knew was a lot better than the devil we didn't. And honestly, the politicians up top didn't take responsibility for that. So my, without getting into the politics of it, where is it, where do we cross the line? Where do we maintain a presence? And then at what point do we need to cross the line and be like, okay, now we need to start kicking some ass. Exactly. Or when do we make the wrong call? I, I believe we did make the wrong call in Libya. I, I love being there. Don't get me wrong. I, I love, I love doing it. Taking arms off the market catching al-Qaeda, who is now in there when Gaddafi left, they started to fly in al-Qaeda in the Maghreb and Ansar Sharia and Rafala Zahate. But looking back on it now, I'm like, God dang, that country, honestly, I, I think it was better off without, without, with, with Gaddafi in charge. Yeah, he was a nut. Yeah, his army, if you crossed him, he's going to, he's going to have his female security guards come up and probably rip your scrotum off. It's going to happen. But gosh, dang, they have nothing now. It's, it's a failed state. Exactly. So, so what, what's, what's, uh, you've been up top. You've seen the bigger picture. You know, I haven't. I've been on the ground more than anything. But when do we not do that? When do we just say, okay, we're just going to be a presence here? And then the public says, oh, you ain't doing shit for them. Well, wait a second. If we do, we're going to make it worse. They don't understand. So the pressures that get put on y'all to make a call and then also to stand by that call. But I, I guess it's just I, I'm confused because I, I just I don't I don't think we always need to go in and, and kill every dictator out there because i've just seen from experience and specifically those two countries that we made it work in my opinion we made the people are, are worse off because there's nothing you there. know chris those are some great points and if you look back in history especially since the end of world war ii you know as a nation you know we've always been helpful we're always giving. yeah but you know north korea after all the blood and treasure that we spent and are still spending we're still a pain in the world's ass yeah. I mean, they're a proxy of China. I mean, obviously, you know, 
can't say that. Because but we're but there we're, we're a presence and that's great. Yeah. I, I think that is correct. We've we, we're a presence. We're mm-hmm. not going in there mm-hmm. as far as people know and doing things. But we're that influencing buffer. But we're influence. Yeah, we're right there in in Syria and Libya. I think we crossed the line. We weren't a buffer mm-hmm. of anything. We just went in You're there. Right. And, the words of Hillary Clinton, we came, we saw he died and she laughed yeah. like a, like a witch. We, we just, mm-hmm. we really made those countries. I, cause I did see that from when we first got in after Gaddafi in the country, I actually was still kind of stable. The NTC was working the national mm-hmm. transitional council. And then it just went, I mean, it just went into disarray. Like exactly. In, like in because in, in, obviously in those cultures, the power play is the power play most powerful people will rule the people. And for the most part, democracy is a great way of doing business. If you have a population that can actually understand and make use of democracy. And see, for you know, a military person like myself that you know, gets involved with the M in dime, you know, <laughs> as I grew up with who? you know, the messaging to the information, the economics, you know, and obviously with the diplomacy aspect, both military and civilian diplomacy. So to get to your point, yeah, the United States over the years, we have definitely made some mistakes. I mean, we left Eastern Europe to the Soviets. Do you imagine if we didn't do that? We let Chinese communists run Chiang Kai-shek or Allen, you know, off the Chinese mainland. Can you imagine if we didn't do that? Wow. I mean, there'd be a lot of lumber peace on earth. Oh, yeah. We're going to have this Taiwan issue going on right now. Right? Yeah. I could go on and on. We won't even get into Vietnam. I mean, the blood and treasure we put in the Southeast Asia. And then give it. And smoke like that just because. So, so, again, what you're talking about with Libya and Syria, and there's other nations out there, it's nothing new. You know, our nation has to come to terms with, you know, understanding one, the human terrain, the cost of doing business, you know, cost benefit analysis. It's a business term, but you know something? It's strategically used also when looking at that broader spectrum of dealing with nations. But if the cost is is lives, though, we're not talking about money. Well, we're talking about guys dying guy and well it's, hey, we it's start, go and you know that better our, than anybody you know that exactly man. it's our lives yeah it's our treasure and then like you said you know if if we go in and break something it's on us the united states yeah, yeah. and if we go in as a coalition it's on the united states and that coalition and the coalition yeah make things right and you got to be patient while you're doing that yeah and you got to understand that, you know, we're going to be dealing with nefarious people in a lot of the places of the world that we operate. Why? Because that's the way those people have survived for centuries. I mean, that's the way those people have survived for centuries, which brings me right back to my DNA bloodline. You know, if people wondered why I, I jumped out of planes for 34 years. And I mean, <laughs> you're half Sicilian and half Scotch-Irish. Yeah, it's sort of in your bloodline to, to do that. But at the same time, when you when you break it down tactically and understand the nations you're going in, you, know, you got to understand what that human terrain is and the reason why. You know, why they're friendly to certain nations, why they're not sure. friendly to other nations. You know, what is the reason why 
you know, we're thinking militarily of going in, into a nation. You know, why, what was the reason for us to militarily go into Libya? What was the reason why militarily we went into Iraq or in Afghanistan? I mean, some of those are easy questions. Other questions you got to ask yourself. It's like, God bless it. You know, at the time it sounded good. Let's drop yeah. some. Um, <laughs> it you know, we'll put some advisors on the ground. Oh, well, it takes more yeah. than advisors. Let's go in there. We'll put some infantry on the ground. And it just keeps escalating. It just keeps getting bigger. Exactly. And bigger. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Because a lot of times we don't do the right human terrain analysis. And even when we go in there, like we did in Iraq, you know, we could talk about this all day. Oh, yeah. You know, so you know, why did we take all the basses out of out of civil government and out of the police and the teachers and all this, all these just normal Iraqis, but they're Baathists. Why? Because, well, if I don't, if I don't pledge allegiance to Saddam, I'm going to die. You know, how hard is that to figure out? Yeah. Which, let, you know, not only a hard time for the United States and our coalition forces, but, but look at the tragedy of the people of Iraq. So I'm all touchy-feely here, but you know, the older I get, you can't help but feel for people. Of course. When the answer is, you know, sometimes people just need to die up front, or there's a quick military action that needs to happen up front, and that sometimes, you know, you know, keeping a, a, a nation with a lid on allows that nation to become stronger and have more negative influence, and in the long run, militarily, is in your case, you're going to have to go in there and take care of the situation. And then the population has been you know, messaged and trained and, you know, they only understand one issue and they hate America. So it just makes it harder on us. Sure. So, so again, you're right, Chris. This is a never ending issue with a superpower called the United States. You know, when does diplomacy end in the big stick of military the, the, the military option of theater security cooperation, Title 50 operations, you know, supporting other insurgents within a country. When does that come to an end? And we overtly you know, get involved in the nation. You know, case in point, you know, look at Ukraine. Can you imagine it's 2023, you got a has-been leader called Putin and it has been country who hasn't done anything positive on the world stage since prior to the Bolshevik revolution. And since they became a communist nation, you know, and supposedly they're not communists anymore, but you know, what have they done positively on the world stage? That's a hundred plus years. They produce some good weapons. They have some good caviar. They make some decent vodka. <laughs> really, what have they done positively on the world stage? Yeah. So now they're in they're in Ukraine, just causing havoc. It's 2023, and how does the world stand by? And we'll provide a few weapons and whatever Title 50 operations are going on. And in the in this this psychopath Putin is just slaughtering people. I mean, think about that. So what's the cost benefit operation of us going into Ukraine? And, and, and that's what I wanted to throw right back in there, Chris. So there's what happened in Syria and it's still going on in Syria. Yeah. We still got boots on the ground in Syria. Yeah. Yeah. There's still Al-Qaeda. There's still ISIS. Yeah. 
you know, we got the issues of, <clears throat> you know, we, we have Islamic, you know, uh, terrorists operating from Nigeria all the way to Somalia across the northern half of, of, of Africa. And that, but that's been there since since the night. I mean, since since 93. I mean, yeah, even before exactly. that, since 93, since 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 uh, since uh, uh, since Black Hawk Down. I mean, since exactly. Dan, Dan, so, Danny so and Ian's point, you know, why do we have these bases all over the world? You know, again, you know, the logistics aspects of it, the aspect of the American flag being planted somewhere in support of a region or a certain nation and, and to help quell issues within that region or that nation itself. But again, um, you know, diplomacy and, and the military aspect of it, and then the economics involved, obviously. Now that that's a science art there. So, you know, I, it, that's beyond my pay grade. Although everything you've talked about, I've also experienced in, know, yeah. in a negative way. You know, when I retired out of out of my last unit in Central Command, you know, I mean, there were some issues going on in Syria where, you know, a little of that, I mean, literally a little of that, not, you know, we could have had our, our Arab partners, you know, take care of most of that. And we could have stood back with logistics and intel. And that situation would be over and the people wouldn't be suffering, nor... You know, if you really want to get into a historical, you know, discussion, but ISIS had matured to the fact where they took down half of Iraq. You see where I'm going with that? Yeah. Yeah. Can I, so can like I just point you know, out? The province in, in Mosul are completely destroyed. Yeah. You know, so, so again, there's times where, you know, and I'm going to let Ian ask this question. I got. Oh one, yeah. It's not even a question, but yeah, keep going. Sorry. Yeah. It's, you know, there's times where, Doing a smackdown is better than than and using diplomacy. That's United Nations embargoes on people because why? The normal people just suffer. That's it. That's well, all. The, so higher, all. the higher ups don't. They keep going. That's what I've always said. Ranger up. Let's go in. Hit them <laughs> real hard. Kick the shit out of them. Get out of there and say, "Don't do this anymore." And they do it again. Get them in there. Knock them the fuck out. Get out of there. And well, and you, you just got to have the right people within the country to be able to take charge of the government and care for the people. And that's the hard yeah. part. Because all, all I was going to go ahead, Ian. I'm sorry. No, no, all I was going to say, though, it's no, 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 we're, we're good. And I'll, I'll pass it back to Chris because I'm sure he has other things. But I think Chris probably notices this and I notice it. And it's like, this is why I love doing the podcast, because it is a true representation that the military is not a monolith in that. Uh, Chris knows this, right? There's probably people listening to this show who have a ton yeah. of military experience who are going, no, we shouldn't be anywhere. We shouldn't be in Ukraine. We shouldn't be sending them billions of dollars. And I understand all perspectives. And it's just why I think when you turn on the TV news media, you might think that the military all has one opinion. And when you do the sh a show like this, and I hear someone like DevRu veteran Kristen Beck, who is way more non-interventionist than you. And then I hear from Sergeant Major Frank Grippy, a totally different um, expert opinion. It just, it's interesting to hear and it gives some perspective on things because I think you make some great points. And I also think Chris makes some great points saying we've screwed up a lot of countries that we shouldn't have been in. 
that's my only point. But anyway, I'll get it back to Chris. Well, I think well, Chris that, well, that's what I'm, I'm, here, about, I'm here to concur with Chris. I mean, there's a lot of suffering going on in the world because of either our lack of military strike or our lack of diplomacy. Or diplomacy. Well, let's let's years were brought on board. Well, let's go into because you and I spend a lot of years in this country and. And I know I, I I know we haven't talked about it, but I know you got feelings. Look look at Afghanistan. I mean, you you, you were an anaconda. I mean, you I, I want to know how you how just as a leader, you could teach so many people how to lead people under distress when you're in when you're in Operation Anaconda. But what did you think? And, and I I we need I love dude. We we're Afghanistan go kill the Taliban. Hell yeah, go kill okay. Yeah, fuck yeah, we're gonna. Do we need to be there forever? No, it's just, it's not going to, that's just how they, they're not going to get Democrat. That's fine. Should we leave like we did? Fuck no. We fucked them over. We let, we, that was a travesty in my opinion, the way we left. But what, what's your feeling uh, on that, on, on just being in Afghanistan? You spent a lot of years, you, you saw a lot of bloodshed. I know you lost some soldiers there, but you saw a lot of heroism as well, in particular, your own heroism there. But, um, you know, when you leave after 20 years, what's what goes through your head i know a lot of a lot of my buddies that it hurt them it, they went down some slippery slopes we got them out of it but it was what the fuck you know you know that you know i know some of you probably went to you and said to themselves why did i spend my life here and waste my time i miss family time because oh, of what, what 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 do you what do you think i don't i i'm glad we went i enjoyed i enjoyed every place i went mm-hmm. i haven't gonna lie i enjoyed being on the ground i enjoyed the job i enjoyed mm-hmm. working with the guys i loved it i would you see how I'm getting and I'm still, I'm an old fart now. And I still, oh, I loved it. But I, I do when, when I'm looking back on some of the places now going, shit, man, diplomacy, my ass. They, it wasn't mm-hmm. the soldier. It wasn't the ranger, the seal, the Marine, the, the airman that fucked this place up. It was the diplomacy after and politicians. Exactly. Exactly. But that's my opinion. I, I, again, I, what do you think, man? I, and, and you know, the, the, your the feeling military... when we, when we left. Afghanistan? No, you're right. We pulling the rug out of our ethnic <laughs> yeah, That's really what we did, yeah. I mean, how can, what, there's not enough adjectives to be able to explain the heartbreak. I mean, literally, simply as that. Yeah. And, and, you know, strategically, we've done that so many times around the world. Yeah. At the tactical level, my heart's aching. And at the strategic level as a nation, it's like, what are we displaying here? I mean, really? Yeah. No. I mean, the day it was announced we were pulling out, I I was teaching a class, mentoring a class, should I say, with, you know, Major General Retired Chin, Regional Leader Development class. And as people were pretty spun up over Afghanistan, not that I wasn't spun up about the tactical level and the death and destruction with both my Afghan partners, all the other nations that fought there with me. I've lost Emirati friends there. I mean, there's a whole picture, you know what I mean? Brits. But, you know, I made this assessment. So as a nation, we just provided China. Yeah. The last link. Yeah. From the Chinese-Afghan border, Pakistan, that the Chinese are highly influencing now because of our lack of... Afghanistan has all this rare earth minerals. Who do you think is going to go there and mine it? Chinese. Yeah. And next door is who? The Iranians. Iranians. Yep. Up in and Iraq. who are the Iranians' proxies to? 
China, China, Russia. Now you go through southern Iraq, you know, where, where the Iranians have that influence in southern Iraq because of the Shia population, even though sure. there is a disconnect, obviously, thank God, between the Persians and the Arabs. But then you go right where? You go right into Lebanon, into the Becca Valley, all the way to the Latani River. So the Chinese now have this, this arc of influence from their border all the way to the border of Israel. And within that is all this rare earth metals, petroleum assets, and nations that just want to cause chaos. Like yeah. Syria, you know, like the Iranians. So you see where I'm going with this? Yes. There's more than just a heartbreak for the Afghan people. For our nation, there's a heartbreak. How can we, how can we even think about that? When we were taking zero casualties, and whatever the data points are, you know, there's going to be data point people going, oh, this guy's command sergeant. He doesn't know the true data points. But yeah, I've been retired eight years, and I try to keep up on stuff. But, you, you know, know yeah. I'm lying up front. We had a, we had a couple thousand troops there. And just as many, if not more, coalition partners there, keeping the, 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 the lid on the kettle. You know, all my, all my posthume brothers and sisters, and yeah. as we all know, you know this, that not every Taliban is a posthume. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? See, seeing a guy with the white, I mean, a white guy with a long that. beard. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. I, seeing a white guy with a long ass beard. Like, holy exactly. shit! Where'd he come from? Uh, yeah, not every not every passion is a Taliban, is what I wanted to say. But it's true. Every Taliban is a passion. That's where that's the tribe they come from. That's the dominant tribe. So how do we screw up the human terrain by not dealing better with that tribe? You see where I'm going with that? I got you. No, I, just just get up one day when the lid is on everything's fine the taliban understand that okay you know we may not be under as much threat as a year ago or two years ago but why are we as a nation how do you just throw the people under the rug like that yeah well you know chris you know we could go on and on about that there's a strategic level mistake of doing that that no one wants to talk about. And then there's the human terrain and there's the empathy for the peoples across the spectrum. You know, those Uzbeks, those Uzbekis, you know, the Hazaras. The Hazaras are getting wiped. They were getting, people, when that was going on, they, they hit a Hazara school and killed 60, when Biden exactly. said, let's say, people, and we didn't get any report of that. I saw that on it was an Al Jazeera. It was a it was an Arab report where, right when we uh, were leaving, guess what the Taliban hit? They hit a Hazara school exactly. and they killed sixty kids. I know we have shootings here. God forbid any kid that dies anywhere mm -hmm. in the world. But holy crap! Did you see what we're just happening? The news didn't report any of that. They didn't say nothing about sixty Hazara mm -hmm. kids being killed. I, so I be, having a presence is important. It, I, I crack up when I watch the news. <laughs> I don't even want to get into this insurgency in America and the messaging and, and the lack of any knowledge of what's going on here amongst our own population. I'll just leave all that. But when I hear these news agencies spun up because the Taliban aren't allowing women to go to school, I mean, really? 
What did exactly? What the fuck did you really? think was going to happen? Really? <laughs> no, really? Well, hey, but they said they were going to let him. Come on, man! They told that <laughs> their Taliban spokesman said everything. We're going to be. Hey, uh, yeah, Chris, Ian, I don't know how much more time we got, but one of the things I want to do, you know, as a, as a retired command sergeant major, you know, obviously, you know, I ended up in positions where I, I had to be able to articulate. I had to be. Able to advise people. You are very articulate for a ranger, especially one that's come <laughs> in. You extremely articulate. You, have, you haven't cussed one time, and I've cussed like twenty times. And yeah. <laughs> but get, don't get me wrong, guys. This guy can cuss, and he can scare the shit out you. Believe me, I tell you. What. My, my wife's she works in a think tank for USAA. Oh, that's are you right now saying that? She would, sorry, she sorry, would run Mrs. Murphy. Saying, he can't talk without dropping an f bomb. You know. <laughs> <laughs> but you know the, the thing is chris you mentioned operation anaconda yeah i mean that was one of the biggest fights we've been in yeah since the vietnam era it's huge and you were highest altitude fight the united states has ever fought it and when you think about it when you look back at that that's still being studied today for the fact that we took this ad hoc element Special operators across a broad spectrum, our Afghan partners, yep. the anti-Taliban forces, Northern Alliance, in a in a group of conventional military, and placed us in this valley, in the worst possible place you could be, in <laughs> smack dab in the bowl. Well, you know something, I, I I made some comments on the news, the commander of the 10th mountain, for whatever reason, because I had that little scratch on my ass, you know, and I, I couldn't go mm -hmm. back to the valley or the JSOC surgeon said, he will immediately send me out of country, you know, evac me to Germany. So <laughs> I had to go report to him to go get my, you know. Um, I, didn't, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah. What happened? I, mean, yeah. I, had to, I had to go, you know, get my uh, bandages changed twice a day. You know, at the day mile. So they could get, yeah, and I wasn't running wild somewhere. Well, anyway, the point I want to make is, listen, for all the military people out there, the basics of the basics coordinate directly to success in combat. So the simplicity of wearing your uniform properly, the simplicity of being able to keep your hair cut or your hairdos proper, your weapons properly attained, the aspect of the big four, understanding marksmanship, just not on your personal weapon, but across a broader spectrum. Yeah. Understanding advanced medical training. Yeah. Which make a PA or a complete medic, but the confidence behind that and to be able to save lives when needed. And then your physical fitness and combatives. Oh yeah. Especially at that altitude. How intelligent you are. If you can't go from point to point B, you know, and fight upon arrival, you're not worth anything that a taxpayers. And the competitors, it's another great workout. And we're not trying to make ninjas. No. What we're trying to do is build confidence. And when the time comes and you get in that situation, you could get after it and take down an opponent and kill the son of a bitch if need be. And then finally, your tactics. I call it the big four. You know what I mean? The big four. You got to understand some tactics. I don't care. If, if, if you're a medic wearing cushy white shoes, if you're flying from forward operating base to another and you go down in enemy territory, guess what? You are now a rifleman, Doc. Yeah. So you got to understand some tactics. But when you blend all that together, 
and not just in one part of the force, but the entire force, you know, that's where you have this cohesive force that can go anywhere in the world and make a difference. And, and one of the things I used to tell people, it's like, you know, if you can't do the basics of the basics, how do I know in the midst of a gunfight, you're going to be able to reduce stoppage on your automatic weapon? You're I mean, not. What was that? <clears throat> now, so we could talk the strategies about nations and dime and combined joint interagency task force and how it all works. But it all boils down to this. And I meant to bring this in here earlier. The whole national asset of our government has one mission in life, and that's to support the rifle platoon on the ground. From all the different agencies, the three letters, yeah. the intel, all the spookiness, all our special operation friends, you know, like I tell yeah. people, I don't care how many infiltration, you know, techniques you're trained in, if you don't have the spirit of the bayonet, when that time comes, guess what? Give me a 19 or an 18 year old infantry. Yeah. I mean, I'm serious. And so a lot of people say, oh, look at this asshole. But I'm serious. It's true. <laughs> a lot of us have been there. And some of my special of the special friends of mine, you know, they're still on <laughs> and, and getting in approval agree with me because we have these conversations. And those of you on the periphery that understand, if you don't know, you don't know. And if you do know, you know. It, I'm telling you, I got to put that message out. You know, you, you got to train the basics. You, you, Listen, what the hell's in the box before you think out of the box? Okay? And that's what Ranger Battalion did for me. Exactly. Discipline and fundamentals, because it doesn't change. Fundamentals are still fundamentals, even when you mm -hmm. are special, like special of the special. You're still working fundamentals. You're just a little bit mm -hmm. better at those fundamentals now. You've trained at a level that when you hit the no shit fan that you can still reach that highest level of training whatever it may be that's something i learned from from you it's something i learned from sergeant henderson who was that dude's rangered out uh, the herminator i tell you what having him as a squad leader um and, and something i learned from you know when i was with sergeant rothke when i came in later and and oh, from rothke, good man did it was you will always fall back on your highest level of training that's why mm -hmm. we're making you suck today that's why mm -hmm. you're going to walk to range, what was it, 81 or whatever it was, instead of riding the bus or riding the truck because you need to walk and then get on the line and start shooting. It's because we're going to push your training levels. Yes. No, I got you, Chris. Hey, one of the things I, I wanted to tie that into Operation Anaconda. Yes. The bottom line is, you know, this, this sole 10th Mountain Battalion that had spent the previous summer at West Point the entire summer, you know, when we deployed, we deployed. Thank God I had enough paratrooper NCOs and Ranger former NCOs where we could, you know, you know outload in a proper sense and get over it in Uzbekistan and operate with our Uzbek hosts and our special operators and guard a base in a foreign country with live ammo carrying grenades around and actually doing patrols around the base because of the threat from the Taliban, from Al-Qaeda and the Islamic movement of Uzbekistan. Yeah, I'd have my young infantry out there patrolling with this Uzbek Special Operation Forces. And that sounds all fun and sexy, but think about if that one young infantryman, you know, had, had, a, had a, um, an accidental discharge on his weapon and killed an Uzbek. Or, or one of my guys you know, walking around with grenades 
you know, let a grenade run wild in the chow hall and it blew up. I mean, think of that. All those little things that people take for granted, that's training, that's discipline. And then to move that force as a QRF into Afghanistan and to conduct combat operations, trying to, uh, you know, uh, uh, regain Mike Spann's body at college oh, yeah. prison. You know, I had guys in gunfights there. And that was extortion one seven, right? Pardon? That was extortion one seven. No, no, that that was farther into the flight. There. Oh, okay. I mean, that was an aircraft that got shot down with a with a seal element that was going in in into a, a ranger objective. Yeah, I re- I, I know I you know I, I know the name. You know what? Now that I'm thinking, yeah, Mike Spann. It was the this was the first casualty. Yeah, right? That's he was that CIA. Mike was CIA uh, case. He was a CIA yeah. case officer. He was a Marine officer, and then yeah, he got caught with the Berg. Uh, who was the the damn white Taliban guy? The first. Yeah, yeah, the, the youngster from Virginia. You know the yeah. the fifth. Oh, uh, Johnny Jihad. Johnny yeah. Jihad, but yeah, whatever the hell his real name was. Yeah. A lot of stories behind that guy too. We won't go there until about 40 years from now. <laughs> but, um, you know, to take that battalion, and I'm humbly saying this, to take that battalion and then insert it into a hostile valley where we knew there was going to be some bad guys there, but to land a force in a valley, and where we landed it was more like a freaking gorge, to land a force in the middle of an enemy kill box, and that's what it was, a kill box. And to be able to turn that kill box into an American victory. Unbelievable. After the Russians, with, with all the air support, with tanks, artillery, we had none of that except for the air support. But to be able to go in that valley and to turn an enemy kill box into an American victory, again. And I get teary-eyed about that, thinking about those young who was out there. But it, but it all boils down to everything I just talked about. The discipline. Yeah. Standards, the big yeah. fundamental and fundamental. It does. You guys were. I. I honestly. Uh, hey, Sergeant Major. I, I studied that. I, I studied when that happened, and, and I started going. That was one of the battles I studied because it was not just the, the intestinal fortitude and perseverance, but the, you guys rock solid with those mortars from bang from day. People realize how hard that is, and that just says a lot for discipline, and it says a lot for training. And, and knowing your job and not instinctive, but having those habit forming movements that you can just, I'm on it. I don't even, have, I, I, my brain's thinking about it, but I'm not really thinking about it. I'm just dropping this tube and I'm hitting where I want to hit. And, mm-hmm. I, and then when I saw you, I didn't even know you were there. And then I read your name and I was like, holy shit, this, this <laughs> son's a bitch is sitting there dropping we, more. We, he, he should be we get around. <laughs> that's awesome. I, I think that's, that's a good place to end it. Cause I mean, we've covered a ton of territory here. We could definitely do more in the future. I don't I, know. If Chris I, has I, I would, anything else I, yet. I would, I, I would like to, cause you know what we didn't get into, we talked a little bit uh, politics that what I'd like to get into and you have such a good, a good, a good uh, grasp on it, especially jumping in with when you're an E6 and then actually Anaconda growing down and all the stuff is talking and teaching people how to deal with stress and still command people still lead troops when there's so much stress involved. And, and that's something that, yeah, yeah we, we're going for another, that's why I'd like to have you on again. So we can yeah. maybe just delve into that. Yeah. I was going to say, we'll, we'll leave that. the people, uh, we'll leave the people wanting some more, but what were you saying? So one of the points I have written, you know, I got a bunch of scribble thoughts here. One of the points we didn't bring up was just that, 
you know, we, we talked about having no sympathy. We don't, not having no sympathy. Let me rephrase that. We don't need a bunch of sympathy. You know, do, do we need some action to help a lot of our veterans? Of course we do. You know what I mean? But, you know, for the most part, we didn't get into the resiliency aspect yeah. of the mind, body, spirit, the unit, you, your family, how to take care of all that. We didn't talk about the ongoing operations and how a lot of people will come back from the fight and then start training up for the next deployment and not get that surgery done. Yeah. Yeah. Not go see the counselor just to talk a few things out. Not to take care of that family issue. You know, I, I had some key leaders go down on me in combat. Or it's not like there's someone readily available. Thank God the Fallout One drill works in our military. We got such a great officer and incident yeah. corps where someone can move up in those positions. But you know, I, I lost some pretty some pretty solid people because they didn't want to go get that freaking surgery because they had to be out there for PT. They had to be out front. I love it. I mean, that's the attitude I've always had. But again, you know, there was times where myself, you know, I mean, as a CENTCOM sergeant major, I had a cancer issue. You know, I go to Walter Reed and get a little chop, chop, chop. Back in theater in three months, and I thought I was nuts. But it's like, like I told my counselor, you know, it's like, uh, you know, after going through this whole process of what type of surgeries or what the process are, you, know, you, you see a counselor. And, and it's this, you know, middle-aged, wonderful young lady, probably a doctorate in whatever, and a master's in whatever, Ernolish. And I sit down in her office, and she goes, well, what do you think? It's like, man, here's the deal. I know what I'm here for. I go, there's a war on. I'm in a position where I'm a war fighter. And I already made a decision. I'm having surgery. I'm getting some chop, chop done. I'm going to heal up and get right back in the fight. So whatever you want to talk about, thank you. I thought this, this site counselor was going to start crying. It's like, how do you military people do it? <laughs> well, how we do it is through resilience. How we do it is through commitment to our unit, our service members, our families, and the cause. And, and it goes beyond that because, <clears throat> Chris, you know this, Ian, yeah, it's one thing to be that American service member, the American soldier, the, the strike ranger. But wherever we go, it's overseas, and we're making a better life, usually, as we discussed, Chris, for the people that we're going to help. You know what I mean, let it be open combat and just surgically taking care of an issue, or if it be theater security cooperation and just advise. You know, the goodness is always there. But yeah, yeah. I'd love to um, take on. You know, a, a, another talk about resiliency and building yeah. and psychological aspects of combat. And uh, listen, I, I just want to take a moment. You know, there's a few shout outs I want to do for the Special Operations Warrior Foundation. You know, great, great organization. Take yeah. care of, you know, those those children of our KIA and so forth. And it's been expanded out to spouses and, you know, our, our Medal of Honor, honor awardees. You know, there, there's Mike Hall and the whole crew when it comes to the Three Rangers Foundation, the mentorship program. You know, they're doing great things, gaining interest in, in these in these organizations, the Special Operations Care Foundation, you know, fund, should I say, with Dave Kramer, a little known organization that's helping yeah. our tier one forces out. You know, they sponsored me last summer 
to go get some MERT training, you know, some magnetic re resonance therapy to make sure that the front of the brain, the back <laughs> of the brain, the middle of my brain, everything was re-synced. So, you know, uh, you know, between- Clearly it is. is I mean, because you- between way too many low level, you know, heavy parachute jumps where your cranium is always rocked. <laughs> it, it works well. But I mean, God bless these people. I mean, out of the goodness of their heart, there's all these 501Cs out there. I can't even keep track of them all. I could only help so many. You know, uh, presently, you know, I've talked about that re regional leadership development program that the United States Army Pacific Command does for select officers, warrants, and uh, senior NCOs. And to some of our, our foreign partners, great classes given by William and Mary's College in, in general. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Jen and I, we're the senior mentors there, you know what I mean? And, uh, you know, we take all this strategic level master's degree information and then we turn it into, you know, actionable activity out there with our, our service members. And uh, 360, I just got called by uh, General uh, Steve Salazar, retired. And, uh, you know, he's it, it, within an organization called 360. You guys could look it up. And we're teaching resiliency classes, in other words, you know, across the spectrum with some of the larger military bases, the major army units. So they want to bring me on board. In other words, as like a project manager to, you know, bring the teams together while we're doing these two-week courses and so forth, give the proper overwatch. And, you know, once the academic portions are done, I could lend some of that world-world thought process from past experience. You know, I got my own LLC to help take care of those issues when I'm out, you know, getting hired on to do some talks. And finally, this little company called Nero 20, you know, we, we just got FDA approval for this electromagnetic suit that's used for both therapy. And, and you guys will love this, especially, you know, you know, Chris with some of your inju injuries. You know, it uses, you know, electricity at various, you know, synchronizations that will stimulate your muscles for fitness and to stimulate wow. your muscles and to help with neuroflossing, neuroplasticity, building up enzymes that help with brain healing. There's this whole spectrum. And we can talk about if you want me back on and talk resiliency and all that. But I'm, uh, you know, what oh, I. That's cool. It sounds like the Iron Man suit or something. Well, you know something? It's a wearable textile. There's a bunch out there on the market. There's no science behind them. You know, ours is FDA approved. I mean, we're bringing it on the market now. And I really want to get into the VA. I really want to get in the military side of the house. Because a suit like this, you know, will help, you know, our young servicemen that want to join, or should I say our potentials out there, to help them get in shape. So you can make it through our initial entry trainings and then go on. And then this suit will follow you right through, you know, wow. your entire military career and into the VA. And then finally, guys. And, and is there a website people should go to for that or? Yeah. So if you want to copy this down, it's N-E-U-R-O-20. Nero 20. Just search like Nero20.com or? or just search yeah, Nero20.com. Exactly. Okay. Yeah. I'm just looking because I think people... I mean, all the all the um, uh, charities you're mentioning are great people, but I think people will really want to check this out. And I do see it. It's neuro20.com. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I'm looking at the suit now. It looks it looks almost like a wetsuit. It's, it's well, pretty cool. It is. It's like a tri wetsuit. But, you know, in in be honest with you. It's washable. And 
it has the different frequency levels for both, you know, strength training, endurance training, XYZ. I don't, I don't want to get into a marketing here on your show. But no, it's fine. The type of Plug away, man. That listen to this, you know, check out that website and it's coming at you now. We're waiting on the final letter to come from the FDA with the codes on it and so forth. So I could confidently go, you know, and say, hey, this is FDA approved. No, this sounds cool. It, it's one of those things where, honestly, if someone emailed us about this and I didn't know who they were, I'd be like, Chris, this sounds this sounds too good to be true. <laughs> but, but you you sound like a trustworthy guy and you have the experience that, that, yeah, that where the hell was this is going to be like really revolutionary. Where the hell was this the 90s, damn it? Come on, no, man. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, <laughs> and, and, and I've been using it for two years now. And oh, you know, we, we've been advancing the technologies and the materials and, and the electrical pulses and all that. You know, we got some of the top Nero people in the world helping us develop this suit. And uh, interesting background, you know, Chris, you know, the, the founder, you know, he's from your world in a matter of fact, and he, Ben Schmidt. Okay. He, you know, he's been injured numerous times, yeah. for brain recon, so forth, and uh, great American. You know, and yeah. another key in that is, you know, um, another former uh, New York City policeman who's been wounded and injured numerous times. And he's an educator. He's a very intelligent guy. You know, his wife, Yana, you know, she's from uh, the high ground up there in Eastern Europe. Great woman. You know what I mean? She's worked within our bases and so forth in support of our forces over the years. And, and we got a host of ju just great individuals how i fit with this is you know, beyond me <laughs> well you, you well you got very, some on, very, you got very, some on, very well defined individuals oh uh, well, you got some on the ground experience and been through there a few go, things brother. here or there so so yeah it's good to have you have you on on and part of it and mm -hmm. uh, yeah anything that you have like that we just we'll, we'll put out mm -hmm. we'll get out on so people can see but mm -hmm. uh, yeah i think having you back on and, and trying to talk you know just about just leading leading troops under duress which we yeah, didn't get I'll, into I'll too by. and i'd like Chris, that. The, the last message and i don't mean to interrupt you but listen i gotta get this out you know our, our, our military you know with, within our society and the issues that we have we all understand that it's really putting a stress on all our services yeah but especially the army you know, that's the ground-gating force. That's the boots on the ground. That's everything we've talked about today, the goodness. And, you know, we miss recruiting by like 20,000 people. Yeah, we talk about Yeah, we speak about this a lot. Yes. So the one thing we need to do across the spectrum, you agree with it or not, I really don't care. But, you know, there needs to be a community effort, you know, from your local church to your local school. You know, people need to get out there and tell the story of the military, you know, in the goodness of developing great leaders, developing great citizens. It's more than going out and putting a tomahawk in someone's forehead. I'm all about that, shooting people in the face, you know what I mean? Bringing peace and security with JDAMs and, you know, <laughs> um, I, I, we've all done that, you know what I mean? But in a bigger sense, the nation strategically is going to have a major issue if we allow this disconnect between society and the military you know, to keep festering. You know, we got to bring great people in. We got to bring great people in. And we can't have people scared that, you know, we're not going to support them. 
you know, with proper, you know, proper medical, we're not going to support them without the proper equipment that we're going to continue this cut and run attitude yeah, yeah. for a while now. I mean, it, it's, it's, you know, we won't go into the politics of it. You know, we know there's societal issues out there with different thought process of how our society should be. But, uh, you know, the bottom line is we got to be able to produce war fighters in this nation. Because if we got to go back to the draft, we're just yeah. taking, you know, anyone and anyone. I mean, there's a lot of great Americans that I'd love to draft and bring in there. You know what I mean? They'd be great things. Yeah. But if, if it's like all yeah. these kids on TikTok joining the military, and this is coming from someone who didn't serve, right? So I, I'm not one to speak, but yeah, I don't know if they're ready for it. But to our listeners out there, you know, we got to get after it. I mean, this is serious, serious, serious business. Well, it's, it's, well, it's tough. I, it's just the, the leadership that is in there isn't putting their best foot forward, to say the least. And and they're seeing what it seeing how it affects and being in, affects us as a whole and affects recruitment. And I live in the Midwest and there's, you know, this is, this is still very military, heavy military supportive living in the Midwest, Kansas, Nebraska, Iowa, you know, Missouri. But when you see your commander, when you see a commander on a dress, going to a costume party and um, it doesn't send the right, let's just put this, it doesn't send the right signals. I got you brother. To, to say, let's sign up. So, you know, the command you. structure has to, but, but the, uh, I tell guys too, is that, you're going, don't worry about that. You're not even probably going to even deal with that. You're going to be with that person. You're right and left. And if you're going to go in, go in special ops, because those people want to be there. That's what I always say. If you're going to go, go. But even if you don't, and you just want to go in to maybe even the guard reserves, you're still with that person to your right or left. And that's who you're going to have your back. And that's why you're going in to, 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 to be there for them. And you won't get that feeling of brotherhood anywhere else. Brotherhood, sisterhood, whoever you want to say it nowadays you're not going to get that feeling anywhere else. So, uh, but uh, since the command structure, command sergeant major, it, you, you you can't send the right signals of we're war fighters when you're going to when you're wearing it when the male officers wearing a skirt dressing up as a woman, whether it was a joke or not, it doesn't send the right signals and doesn't make people want to join the military. Yeah, and that's a good that's a good place you guys to end it. Put me in tornado mode right now. <laughs> no, no, it's a listeners. We're, we're going to have you come. We're going to have you come on again because you have lived a tremendous life and and your leadership, your your experience and your knowledge of leadership under duress. We didn't get into any of that, and I think that's extremely important because I yeah, need to we'll, learn more. Of that. We'll we'll get we'll definitely do a part two. But yeah, thank you so much for taking the time. We appreciate <laughs> yeah. it. Our Chris, listeners appreciate it. Oh, and you're uh, awesome. You're awesome, Commissioner Major. You're you're a legend, brother. You are. A fucking legend, and you know the Ranger community, of course, knows that. And you're honored with that because you're I do this. I'm still practicing with Casey <laughs> to do this Hawaiian stuff, right? You, you, you hit too many. You hit too many people. You hit too many cars. You've broken too many knuckles, so you can't do it. We'll let it slide, man. It's just you've just lived a hard life. That's a There's hard, some good secrets life. we need to keep secret there. Exactly. Shh. I won't say anything else. Ian, take over. I've said too much already. All the best, guys. That's all for this episode of the Battle Line Podcast. But we'll be back on Monday with more American Straight Talk. Until then, be sure to follow us on Instagram at Battle Line Podcast and on Twitter at Battle Line Pod. To sign up for future Battle Line tactical courses, go to www.christantoperanto.net. Believe in yourself, face all challenges head on, and as always, never, never quit. quit.